Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 11. Dude. We made it pretty far. <laughs> did you hear that knuckle crack? Yeah, I, <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. I was like, dude, crack. We did it. That was I thought it was really badass. You're like, we're getting down to work. <laughs> All you are. haters, watch out. <laughs> Jen's cracking knuckles. And picking my teeth with I don't know, something <laughs> a toothpick? <laughs> with a toothpick, yeah. Oh like I, I like, just look really threatening. Yeah, yeah. She looks very threatening over okay. there. Jen, did you notice something new at our intro? I did notice something new. Did you guys notice something <laughs> new? We've got a new theme song. We have a new theme song. Thanks to um, our friend and fellow comedian, Matt Pesheny, Who Thank you, Matt. Thank you so much for writing that song. Uh, we loved our old song. We loved it so much, but we don't own the rights to that no, song. No, and we're just so. trying to be more conscious of, you know, we're artists and... We don't want to take things from other artists without paying them or without their permission. And that is like a very famous song. Um, and we don't own the rights to it. Right. So. Like we, the podcast is like doing so much better than we ever dreamed. And we just want to make sure that we're doing everything the right way. Yes. And buy the book. Matt did an amazing job. And yes. And we're really and we're happy so with grateful. it. And we hope that, I hope, because um, Max, my three-year-old, always sings the other one. He's always Aww. like, Dump. So I'm hoping that once he hears Matt's, he'll be well, singing that through the house. I have to say, it's been, like, stuck in my head. And I think that that's a good yes. sign. Like, I have now have Matt's version, our new version, stuck in my head. That's Rather awesome. than the other one. So I think that's a good sign. Yeah, I think it's a great sign. So how was your week? Uh, it was good. Busy, busy, busy. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you've been so busy lately. I mean, I know I've been on vacation, so yeah. it does seem like anybody doing anything other than just like laying in a hammock. With water <laughs> in front of you. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, yeah, I've just been running around like a maniac. But yeah. And what about you? How was your week? Um, good. I, I had a job interview. Yeah. How did it go? I... I'm nailed it. it. I do think I nailed it. Hell yeah. I do. I it's one of those things where, you know, I'm I'm I don't I have work, so right. I'm a freelancer. Um and, and I have plenty of work right now, so I don't need a job, but this job seemed interesting and so I applied for it and I kind of didn't even think about I mean I did it and didn't think about it and then you know, so it's just one of those things where I'm like, I don't I'm not desperate for it. Right. Um I also yeah, so I just I, I felt like it was like really casual. It's always when you don't really like care if you get it or not that you yeah. do get it. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm just kind of waiting to hear. They said it'd be a couple weeks, um, and I'm just trying to figure out if I want this job. <laughs> I don't know Sweet. if they offer it to me. So I feel like I'm in a good position either way. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so that's been kind of like a weird thing because I've been either a full time road comic or a freelancer for ten years. I have not worked in an office and this would be like office sally office sally i'm like i don't even have any office clothes anymore i I used to have a whole closet start wearing pants 
right? <laughs> just I don't know if you guys know this, but I am naked, pantsless, <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Jen's like, I, this is something I wanted to talk to you about. <laughs> uh, yeah, people are like, you should do a video podcast. I'm like, I don't want to put on pants. Yeah. <laughs> I, know. I know everybody keeps telling us to... Um, live uh, or uh, record our recordings like video record our yes. recordings and sally and i are just like well then we have to like do our hair right? i'm like you know i just I'm roll like, out of bed for this right makeup should we do our quickies yeah let's do our quickies okay so i'm gonna start the quickies this week my um i just saw my niece shout out to sophia, Hi, sophia. who i just recently learned is a fan of the podcast oh, which sorry. makes me a little nervous <laughs> sophia sophia i'm sure she's 14 yeah right? i'm sure that you um you have the internet so you've heard bad she's words, heard but it all. i apologize for anything I've said. <laughs> so she reminded me yesterday that i had never i had mentioned on a podcast that i was going to go back and tell the story about the time that aerosmith fell in love with my mom oh, I've been waiting and for this. i totally forgot so thank you sophia for being on my butt and telling me that i need to tell the story so yeah. i'm gonna tell it today um, okay, so when I was 16 years old, um, my mom like got a job working at Media Play, uh-huh. um, which Media Play is doesn't exist anymore, but it was kind of like a Best Buy type. Well, yeah, it was like okay. a place where you buy books and CDs and yeah, whatever. Um, and so um, that's and she were it was like near the mall and she worked there as, and she got a job through a friend as the promotions manager. Okay. So she would handle like sales events and like book signings or whatever. And then um, one morning, and I should just say like my mom is like the cutest little uh, Italian lady, yeah. you know, she's just like, she's just a cute old mom. She's yeah. a mom and I love her. Um, but anyway, um, one morning when I was eating breakfast, my mom comes into the kitchen and she was like, hey, Jenny, some band is coming to media play. It's like Arrow, Arrow. I don't know what it is. And by the, my mom's like famous for mispronouncing stuff. Yeah. Like it's so fun. Like one day she was like, some rap guy's coming to media play. What's it? Uh, LJ Cooley? Hello, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cool J mom. God. And so... Um, so, yeah, so she's like, so Arrow, Arrow, I can't remember. And I was like, do you mean Aerosmith? And she's like, yeah, that's it. That's who's coming. And I was like, Have Mom. Have you heard of them? Yeah. And I was like, Mom, I really, really doubt that Aerosmith is coming to, like, the town center media play. Right. Like, I really don't think so. But they, it was true. They had just written this book called Walk This Way. Yeah. And so they were coming to do um, a book signing tour or whatever. So, uh-huh. like, that was one of the stops. So... My mom had like no idea who they were, which is crazy to me because it's she's so not old. Like yeah, she like she just I don't know. She was just busy having kids. You yeah, I was know? gonna say they've been huge for for a long time. <laughs> I know, and so she um she didn't really realize like what a big deal this was. Um, so the day that of the book signing, my mom was like, yeah, just come out there, you know, just come up and there say probably won't be anybody there yeah so i go and it's like totally crazy they're like i can't even get through the door there's a million people and i'm like not one of those people like if there's a crowd like you remember how you were saying like you don't like to wait on lines and if like a lot yes. of people like something then you shy away from it. right same like when 
I, I'm not one of those people that's going to fight through a crowd to get somewhere. Oh, I'm no. just like, oh, I guess there's more people than me. Yeah. So bye. <laughs> so I wasn't trying to like fight through the crowd to get up to my mom. Yeah. So, but I, I could see, see <laughs> yeah, I could see like through the cracks. I could see there was like a big long table. There was the whole band sitting at the table and then there was just my mom just like <laughs> sitting there and she would hand them the books and yeah. they would sign. I could tell that they were like joking and cutting up with my mom. And my mom later told me that this like really expensive big long table that they were all sitting at, that they ruined it because with the Sharpie, they wrote, my mom's name is Caroline. Uh-huh. They wrote Carol's line across the table and pointed it at my mom. And so um, they just like, I don't know. She's just like a really warm, like sweet, loving person. And they just like loved her. And they probably were like charmed by someone who wasn't starstruck. Yeah. You know, was like, oh, hey guys. Hey boys, sit down here. I know. know. She was probably like, are you hungry? Yeah. You want something? (laughs) Let me get you a cannoli. (laughs) And so, um, so I never got to see them that day, but then they ended up giving my mom tickets to the show and backstage passes so we could see them later that night. So we went to the show and the show was great, obviously. You yeah. Know, and was this when, this was probably a few years after they had that big comeback with like crazy, the like, it was around that time. Alicia Silverstone oh, yeah. videos it was, and like Liv Tyler, you know. Yeah. Videos. It was around that time yeah. because I remember like being, um, or right after maybe uh-huh. because I, um, I definitely was like, you know, I loved Alicia Silverstone and loved yes. Tyler and all that. And so like, and the, and I think that's why I was so hyper aware of Aerosmith. Right. Yeah. They had, yeah. They had that huge comeback and they used all these like teenagers, grungy teenagers in their videos. Yeah. And it was like such a big thing. Yeah. God, and I, so I went. Kids, I, look it up. I, I don't know why. Sophia, look it up. <laughs> I, the, like, I don't know why this just reminded me of like the outfit that I wore to the, I guess I was just like trying to look like a teenager that didn't care. So I wore uh-huh. like a men's suit. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, there's like, I, but like at the concert, there was like, you know, women dressing like as scantily clad and right. like sexy as possible. And I just wore like a black and white men's suit. <laughs> and then I wore like my hair in pigtail, like low pigtails and just like whatever. I don't care. Did you have chunky black shoes? No, they were like white platform sandals, like Uh-oh. Delia sandals. So this was like a Delia's inspired yeah, yeah, yeah. men's black and white suit with like platform white Delia sandals and my hair and pigtails. I what the hell like, was I doing? I feel like you sound totally cool. Was I? You're like a little Gwen Stefani. I Oh, I loved Gwen Stefani. <laughs> um, so that was my vibe at the concert. So we go and we, we watch the show and it was great. And then afterwards we're like, okay, let's go backstage and meet them. Yeah. So then we get back there and there's a billion people. And I was like, oh, it's like just one of these like meet and greet type right, right. things. And there's, you know, like we'll never get up to them. This is crazy. Like, yeah. And I was like, let's just go. I don't want to wait. And, <laughs> like I'm know, really hot. Being a suit. shitty teenager. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the suit is like made of polyester. <laughs> My feet hurt from these Celia Samuel. <laughs> yeah. And so these pigtails are giving me a head. <laughs> so I told my mom, like, let's just leave. I don't want to, like, wait for this. So we start to, we turn around, like, we're about to leave. And all of a sudden, one of the doors opens. And then out comes Joe Perry. Yeah. And everyone, like, bum rushed him. Like, everybody, like, swarmed towards him. And then, um, and then, and then out from, 
And then the door opens again, and it's Steven Tyler. Yeah. And immediately, from way across the room, I mean, we were far away, but you know, he's so recognizable, you know. Right. And so, but so Steven, so far across the room, Steven spots my mom and goes, Caroline! And oh. my mom is like, <laughs> and he runs through like all these people and picks up my mom, swings her around, gives her a big smooch, and oh then God. she she was like, "This is my daughter Jenny," and um, he gave me a big kiss and a big hug, and he was like, "Your mom is so awesome. Your mom is the coolest." And I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> and so he was. It was, but it was just like. I hope I have a moment like that where, like, a, somebody, like, a rock star tells my daughter how cool right. I am, you know? <laughs> but anyway, um, he was, like, so he talked to us for a minute, and he was so lovely, and he was so amazing, and he was just, like, I can't, like, my mom just made such an impression on him yeah. that it was just amazing that he, like, Was everybody, like, across. looking, like, who is this woman? They were all, and like, who is this like, woman? <laughs> yeah, all of the women were, like, let's eat them. So... <laughs> We had to like you know let him go right do his meet and greet and um but it was amazing and it, my mom was like on cloud nine and so was I and then it's so funny because ever since then whenever my mom sees uh, Aerosmith on TV yeah or like if the song plays on the radio my mom will just go oh Steven. <laughs> <laughs> like their best friends like oh that's my Steven. <laughs> it's so cute. That um, awesome. that's a, that's a story about how Aerosmith fell in love with my mom. Oh my gosh, I've been waiting for that story, and I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want you to talk like your mom always. <laughs> oh, I will. I do sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay, so here's my quickie. It's it's not as um, lovely. Um, oh. Do you ever wish that you and Zach shared more of the same interests? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Because you guys have... I, I'm actually, like, I... Ben and I like a lot of the same things, but I, I'm grateful that we don't have everything. Because I'm, like, I'm suspicious yeah. of those couples, right? That are, you're, like, you know, the people... Like, there's nothing more annoying than, I think, people who talk as if they're one person. Like, we prefer dry wine, or we like this movie. Oh, you know, like, group... Oh, yeah. Yes. Like, like group... A couple of Facebook accounts. Oh, yes. <laughs> like, you by, be your own person. Right. I'll like you better. Yes. I'll like you better if you're two people. Yes. Um, yeah, so I think I, I think that there is something to having your own interests because um, Doug Telextra and his wife, Lindsay Pelton of Deltona, Florida, Florida, shared all of the same interests. Like, they shared a love of neck tattoos. Um, <laughs> <laughs> of... Of con movies, of meth. <laughs> I don't know that one for sure, but that's just like a supposition judging from their pictures. All of meth. Yeah. All of neck tattoos. Oh my God. And it didn't help them out. <laughs> so these two got into hot water um, when they called the police to report a home invasion. And when the officers got there, they told them that two men had entered their apartment and demanded to see Javier. And they both had actually had gunshot wounds. And they said Lindsay had a wound and a fractured bone in her lower left forearm. And Doug had a bullet entry and exit wounds in the rear and front of his left calf. And so, and they were like, whoever these people are looking for Javier shot us and they stole all of our stuff. And the deputies were like skeptical from the start because the house smelled of bleach. 
Uh, they found dried blood in the home and garage. Oh my god! And they even found a sock full of the same caliber caliber bullets that the couple had been shot with. And uh, the sheriff, Mike Chitwood, said, if this incident had just occurred and they called the police right away, why would there be dried blood? Oh, and my God. why would we have bleach all over the house? So his theory is that the couple planned to use um, the shooting to gain an insurance settlement from the property management company, Jen, oh watch God. out for this, that manages their home. And these dumb tubs had even retained a lawyer before this happened. Oh my for the god! Insurance proceedings, yeah. So this is our dumbest couple so far. This is our dumbest couple. So like the couple that dumbs together goes to jail together. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Lindsay's father, Carson, was actually like he was like not having it. So the he called the deputies or the deputies called him to get information about the case, and um, and he told the detectives. He was like, oh, yeah, no, I pay rent on their house. Um, and he said, the deputies were like, yeah, the, they said that robbers stole $7,000 from a safe. And so they were trying to, like, then recover that money. And the dad was like, those two have never had two pennies to rub together. And he said, Lindsay's never even seen $7,000 in her whole life, let alone had it. Oh, my God. So he totally called him out. And then both of them were charged with providing false information to law enforcement and Doug also got a charge of tampering and destroying evidence. So um, the uh, the conning couple, they could be looking at a decade together behind bars. How I'm, romantic. Right? I'm sure we will be very happy there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So that's my quickie. I love it. Hey, Sally. Yes, Jen. Um... Do you want to hear something crazy? Oh, you know I do. <laughs> okay. Here's, um, I'm doing the crazy story this week, and it is the story of Pastor James and Marie Carlson. Ooh, okay. Have you heard it? No. Okay, good. I just, I love a, a, a pastor story. story. <laughs> yeah. Pastor blank, whatever it is. It's going to yeah. be good. Um, so, in, um, 2007, Colorado Springs, Jeff and Marie Carlson were married with a five-year-old daughter named Paris. Mm -hmm. Um, So their marriage was pretty rocky, and um, they were going through some troubles. It turns out Marie had actually had an affair, and the relationship fell apart uh, right after that. So she decided to leave Jeff her husband, and um, take her daughter with her and move to Fort Walton Beach, uh, Florida, which is where she grew up. Like okay. she needed to go to Florida and reset and, you know, start a new life right? Um, as a single person. Um, so she, um, Fort Walton Beach is a very like Christian community. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Yes. According to this article. I- <laughs> and when I say article, I mean this um, thing on the ID channel that I yeah. watched this one. <laughs> Legit, I like paid extra for Amazon. There, there's like a, pa- a murder package and you can pay extra for it. And I did just for material. I love it. So I got it off there. Um, and articles. I read stuff. And I, I read things. <laughs> so, um, was so it like tweets and stuff? I, there, I was, there was reading involved. <laughs> um, so she, it's a very Christian community. And uh, so she finds a new local church there. And, and like it's very 
conservative area also yeah. where she's living. And so she finds a new local church that is um, the pastor there. It's 40-year-old pastor James Flanders. Everybody calls him Pastor James. Um, and everyone loved him. He was like the young, cool pastor, mm-hmm. very charismatic, and like everybody just like, yeah. you know. I feel like I have one of my special skills spotting out young cool pastures yes it's like tours like at a coffee shop is like i can always spot the like young youth minister who's like waiting for someone yeah i'm like that guy is definitely he's like too cool but then also too like nice i don't there's some like combination you can like see it in their eyes that's such a weird skill yeah i can spot a youth pastor i mean we're i you know i'm a freelancer so i work a lot in coffee shops (laughs) (laughs) and that's where they meet that's where wow. they meet. Oh, wow. <laughs> Is that where they meet their mistresses? Mostly just young teenagers they're trying to convert, I think. But God, yeah. Like, and they're like, yeah, man, the Bible's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Which it is. It's cool. It's, it's totally cool. like cool. this iced coffee, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you like frappes. <laughs> I like frappes. And no. oh, by the way, have you heard of this cool new <laughs> bu- book called The Bible? <laughs> Um, so, so Pastor James was like, Pastor James, okay, yeah. Oh, I would spot cool. him, spot him across a coffee shop. Good. That's good to know. Yeah. That you would be able to spot him. So he was married, um, to his wife, Tanya Flanders, who was a very nice lady, very, like, um, like, a very professional, put together, sweet, like, wife of a pastor. Yeah. Um, so, but Marie and, um, and James like start a friendship you know she's looking Mm -hmm. to him for guidance Mm -hmm. and they both like to go to the park and work out so they would like work out together all the time they would go running on the beach all those things um he became her teacher and he would counsel her he was a little bit older um than her and um she looked to him as like a godly man like he was a godly man Mm -hmm. um so um, she so now so she they she's been living there for about a year. Her daughter is now six years old, and they develop over the year. They developed a really close relationship, and she becomes more and more committed to this church. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm not. I have a lot of male friends, as do you. I think as comics, most of the people we interact with are, are other dudes, dudes right? Yeah. So I have very close guy friends, and so I'm not in general suspicious of male female friendships yeah i think they can absolutely exist but it's just you know of course in the context of these stories i'm always like mm-hmm, i'm sure they're friends mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's like i've become this like judgy like right woman. okay all right i'm sure they had a real close like friendship i'm just waiting for the other shooter yeah drop. like on our a couple weeks ago we had a um the Alan Duvall had a neighbor named Jennifer that he would hang out with all the time. Uh-huh. And we were both like, right? But they really were just friends. <laughs> I don't believe it. <laughs> um, so, it, but this, okay, so your instincts were spot on on this one because right. it eventually develops into an inappropriate relationship. Um and they become involved, which of course is ev- against everything the church stands for, and it's a mortal sin because he's married. Right. And um, so Tanya, his wife, you know, people in the room and people in the church, they talk, you know, and so, so she people starts, knew it was happening. Well, you know, they're just like, why are they hanging out all the time? This doesn't make sense. There's something not going on, right? So there like, were like ladies in the church, like me, who were like, mm-hmm. why are they hanging out? Yeah, so there's a bunch of Sallies running around. <laughs> in their mouth 
and so uh, uh, so Tanya starts to hear rumors, and then um, you know she goes to her husband, um, Pastor James, and is like, "What's up?" She's like, "Pastor James, <laughs> dear Pastor James, she, she dear Pastor, Pastor James." <laughs> um, she's like, "You know what's going on? You've been spending all your time with Marie. This is, you know, this like this is crazy. You right. know, we're People married." Are talking. And, um, and he's like, you know, she's a single mom, and she just moved mm-hmm. here, and she needs my help, and it's my job as a pastor to be there for her. Um, so they continue sneaking around, and then um, eight year, eight year, eight weeks into the affair. Okay. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, so they were very sneaky. Um, eight weeks into the affair, he finally confesses to his wife that he is in love with Marie. But... Um, Rather than leaving his wife, mm-hmm. he proposes that she lets Marie move in with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And he tells her that, it, and he convinces her that it's actually biblically sanctioned, and that a man was um is able to have more than one wife. A man is right. Well, you know, it's like a woman can't have a multiple woman husbands. cannot. But yeah. A, yeah, like like Moses and King David had multiple wives, and he convinces her that like this is uh, uh, in God's eyes, this is okay, and yeah. I'm you know your husband and your and your pastor, so you must listen to me. So um, like I have no problem. I mean, obviously it's like in general I have no problem with that. Like it, I don't either with right, polygamy, like, I mean, yeah, but yeah, like, if every I have a problem with cheating and then you know convincing yeah, your wife it's like if that every cool. party is consensual, then like do whatever you want, you know. Yeah. But yes, this scenario where it's like sneaky and he's using like her religion against her to be like you have to listen to me because God says it's okay. You it's know, an it's abuse like, of power. Yeah, he's being a dick. What a dick. Um, so he. So, and not only is this pre- uh, breaking the church law, it's actually breaking state law. Yeah. Um, but but Marie agreed, and Tanya agreed, and then they moved in. Uh, Marie and her daughter move into their house. Uh-huh. And I forgot to mention, like, Tanya um, it wasn't ever able to have children. Um, oh, so, so that's just another kick in the... Yeah. Teeth, right? So, yeah. So she's like... You know, she, she also feels like maybe this is our chance to, you have know, a kid. like, yeah, yeah, have, you know, now we have this um, Paris living here and mm-hmm. I could be a mother. So, uh, and Marie was like super vulnerable at the time and very easy to manipulate. And he convinces her that in order um, for God, uh, so if he convinces Marie and Tanya that in order for God to approve of their situation of, of, of Marie living there, that they all have to be intimate together. So oh. he's like, so not is not only enough that like he has two different. What is wives. what is God? Some like yeah. bro who's like, dude, you gotta yeah, you know you gotta, gotta do, do it. <laughs> you know, it'd be so cool. If you two made out. So then he I mean, that's he what like I would like as God. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So he convinces them and to be intimate together, and then Tanya and Marie start having a relationship. And it's said that, like, you know, after the fa- they like there were steamy text messages between the two of them found on their cell phones and the cell phone records or okay. whatever. So I guess they started um, being into each other because they're like, let's ditch this loser. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the uh, congregation starts to have suspicions about him. Like, this is all really weird. Like, yeah. she's living in your house. And, like, what is going on? And um, they... 
so and then Maria soon finds out that she's pregnant, and the church and like you know the church knows that like Tanya couldn't have kids. Maria's yeah. pregnant, and then they say like try to keep the pregnancy a secret, and they didn't want the congregation to find out. But then finally. Um, Pastor James comes up with this idea, like, let's spin the story and tell everybody that Marie is a surrogate for him and Tanya. So, like, the reason that Marie is living here is because, is because she's, she's carrying the baby for me and Tanya. And then the church is like, what? That doesn't <laughs> sound right. So then... If the church wasn't already like what is going on here, he starts to casually like pepper in, like sprinkle into, um, you know, the like sermons sermon. or whatever that like, you know, what's cool. Polygamy. <laughs> I'm like, well, we should actually maybe have an open mind about. Yeah. So then he starts to teach everybody about polygamy and tries oh to get them on board. And um, they are not into it the church is like no 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 so um in july 2011 marie goes into labor and they have a home birth because they didn't want people involved in knowing what was happening and whatever so she gives birth to a beautiful baby girl and they name her grace and um marie i don't think i mentioned before but marie was filipino and so the baby looked just like her so there was no denying that oh, that, like that she that came she from would, like two white people. Yeah, yeah she okay. wasn't like Tanya's egg. She right. would like she obviously she looked just like Marie. Um, so then they you know then the church can't uh, they can't hide that from the church. And so then they admit to the church that Marie is not the surrogate but also the egg donor. And, you know, whatever. And they try to spin it again. Um, So Marie, after a while, like, start after she has the baby, especially, you know, your motherly instincts kick in. And you're like, wait, (laughs) I want to keep this baby safe. And she realizes that, like, he's a little crazy. Um, Like, he's controlling, obviously, manipulative, obviously. And, um, And the whole situation was just nuts. So she wanted out of the polygamous relationship. She just didn't want to be in it anymore. So... Um, and then her ex-husband, um, mm-hmm. who lives in Arizona is also, he's not comfortable having his daughter live there. He's oh, like, right, cause they have a six year old. Yeah. There. Like Ugh. that's my daughter. And so when he calls, uh, Marie to tell her that she, he wants his daughter to come live with him, she initially freaks out and is like, no, 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 you can't. Um, take her from me in no way in hell. But then after um, she tells James about it, James decides that, it's, you know, it is probably better for her to be with her dad. Mm-hmm. So then she calls her ex and is like, um, okay, come get her. You can come pick her up. <sighs> so he goes and gets her. Thank God, though. I'm glad that, you okay. know, she left that situation. So it's No, un- I am. I yeah. just, it's the, like... Just the James manipulative. Oh, like, totally. Yeah. He just wanted it to be like his own little family. Right. Wanted, yeah. And so in October 2011, things are still not great. And she calls her ex again to tell him that she's not happy. And he like he's never stopped loving her. And he was like, look, you can come home anytime you want. Like, come home. Even with this so, new baby. Yeah. And he was like, come home. And so a few weeks Later, he gets a text message that says, Hi, it's Marie. I'm leaving Florida to go do something I've always wanted to do. Thanks for your love and support. And he's like, no, there's yeah. no way. She would never leave the baby. Right. And she would never leave Paris. There's just no way. And he, um, 
And then he calls James, the pastor, and then um, him and Tanya are like, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. She just left. Like, we got the same text message. It's really strange. Um, so her ex-husband files the missing person report. So, like, James doesn't even file it. He does. And so, um, it, like, and then 12, um, so the police talk to Pastor James and tell them, like, and then he, and to find out where she is and right. he tells them yeah like we got the same text message um but she has mental problems though didn't you know that she's she's like a little cocoa uh-huh. and so um 12 years uh, 12 weeks uh, 12 weeks after she disappears james is removed from the church because the church is like not having any of his bullshit between right. like the him promoting polygamy all of a sudden marie being missing like Like, the whole situation just seems crazy. So they they kick him out of the church. And then him and... um, So Tanya and baby Grace pack up and they move to Arizona. Like, away from James? um, So, um, I'm sorry. Him, Tanya, and... So the pastor, Tanya, and they take baby Grace. Okay. And they move to Arizona. So on May 2015, uh, four years later, after her... disappearance disappearance years later when cell phone technology comes out Mm -hmm. because they like they didn't really have that back then um they were able to go back and see that her text messages were pinging from the same tower that james's cell phone hit at at the same exact time Uh so when he said that she was gone for two days the text messages were sent after that yeah okay so um like so he definitely had heard from her after those two days you right. know what i mean because their their cell phones ping together so they take him in for questioning um and he and he like uh, gets all nervous or whatever and then he he tell he tries to tell them a story that he was home alone with her and she was fighting him and he was hitting her and that he um, bear hugged her so hard to that make he her suffocate her that he suffocated her uh-huh. <laughs> yeah so he said that it was all accidental and then um, so they tell him that they'll reduce the charge to manslaughter if they'll if he'll tell them where her body is yeah and then he tells her uh, tells them that her body was buried in the backyard of their home the whole time. Her body was back there. She was 37 years old, um, and he murdered her and buried her in the backyard, and he is only sentenced to 15 years in prison. What? 15 years. And Marie's parents are fighting for the custody of baby Grace, Yeah. but the baby still lives with Tanya to this day in Arizona. And when he gets out of jail, which will be pretty soon, yeah. um, he'll be able to go back to his family. He'll be no. able to go Why back to Tanya and go back. Why is not related? Did she adopt her, the baby? Um, baby ba- Grace? How? Like, she's not even related to her. Well, I'm, I'm assuming that when she had, um, they played it off, like, you know, oh, she so had, had she the baby, was on so the she probably was the person on the birth certificate oh because she was, the story that they gave everybody was that, and I'm sure the story that the pastor gave Marie was like, you're having this baby for our family. Right. Like they manipulated her so much that they probably they did sign yeah the um on the birth certificate. Tanya oh, and James heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking, and so and Tanya's just cool with it. Yeah, and Tanya's just living her life. Uh, well, I don't know. Who knows what's going on behind yeah. closed doors? Because it sounds like he's a manipulative piece of shit. Yeah, but um, it just sucks. Um, so maybe. 
we can write letters or something to try yeah. to help get the grandparents custody of the child. Oh, we'll post all of that information. But yeah, um, so this is not a good story. No, not at all. It's not. It makes me angry. It's very sad. <laughs> no, sorry. Sorry. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Uh, would you like a love story? Yes, please. Yeah, I feel like I, I need a like a palate cleanser. <laughs> we do need a palate <laughs> cleanser. I don't like the way that one ended, but I know I felt like I needed to tell it. Yeah, it's like every I just you know manipulative men. <laughs> I know it, it needed that, to be told as a warning tale for yeah 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 yeah. No, I mean I'm glad you told it. But it also just made me really sad. So I have a good love story. Hell yeah. I'm really excited about this one. So this is a story of Nayaf Herbid and Betu Alami. So in 2003, Iraqi uh, citizen Nayaf Herbid, Herbid um, found himself in the midst of the Iraq War. If you remember, that is when um, the U.S. invaded Iraq. Um, he was a fine arts graduate, and uh, like most fine arts graduates, he couldn't find a job. Um, so he signed up to be a translator for the U.S. Marines. Um, and he was based in Ramadi, which was the worst place at that time. Uh-huh. Um, he would go out on patrols, and people would be killed by IEDs and snipers. And he was just constantly asking himself, like, why am I here? Why am I doing this? Um and then, so in 2004, Nayef was working as an interpreter when he met Batu Alami, who was a soldier in the new Iraqi army. Um, and they were part of, um, part of this mission to reclaim Ramadi General Hospital, which had been taken over by insurgents. So Batu as um, a soldier and Nayef as an interpreter for the U.S. Marines. So it was like a dangerous mission in the most dangerous city and at a very dangerous time in the war. And so at night, after the stress of the day was over, the two men would come together together in this safe house um, to kind of like recover. They would eat a meal and then they would often like find an excuse to kind of sit in the back garden by themselves and they would talk for like hours and hours. And Nayef said those conversations helped keep him sane during this time. So Nayef was was gay, but he was out to only a few friends um, and he had been like instantly attracted to Betu. Um, mm-hmm. He told one of his friends he worked with like how handsome Betu was. And the friend was basically like, yeah, there's a lot of hot guys here. It's the Iraqi army. <laughs> <laughs> there's hot guys everywhere. But Nayef was like, there was just something about Betu that was like perfect. Like he was, it was more than his looks. He was just really drawn to him. Um, so he got to know him, got to know Betu over the dinners and he found himself in these like intense circumstances, falling in love, which wow. you can imagine, like under you know you're under like so much danger and so much danger, and then you find this like bright light in the midst of all this. Um, so he said that when they talked, they only wanted to talk about beautiful things because he said because you know we see dead people, we fight. Oh. So what we talk about is our life and our past, about how we feel, about where we'd like to be in the future, and that was very beautiful in that difficult moment. And neither told the other that they were gay, um, but they both knew that they had feelings for each other. So after just four days, Betu told Nayef, I love you. Um, and in response, Nayef was like, um, yeah, it's been fun. No, I'm just oh. kidding. <laughs> I was like, no. Uh, ooh, I don't know. I got I got things to do. Uh, no, so he kissed Betu. Oh. And he said, Betu said he was so excited he didn't eat for two days. <gasps> 
Um, but because this was Iraq and being gay was not okay, yeah. um, and this is army, so even more conservative, if they were caught, they could go to jail for 15 years or worse. And um, Nayef says, said to be gay in Iraq, it's very dangerous. It's losing your life. You get shame to the family, you lose your family, and you it's lose awful. your friends. You lose almost everything. But despite these dangers, they started spending all their time together, and their American and Iraqi colleagues noticed um, and so, but some of them were like on board, like they were like happy for them. And, um, Nayef was told his American captain about Betu and he actually helped bring Betu over to stay with him at the American camp for a few nights. Oh, that's so great. Um, but some of the other soldiers actually stopped talking to Nayef after they found out that he was gay. And one of his translator friends from his home city ended up hitting him with a stick, breaking his arm. Oh my fucking God. Yeah. Fuck that guy. Um, So for nearly five years, the two kept their love a secret. Sometimes people like the American captain um, would help, people would help arrange them to rendezvous, but they had to be very, very careful. But nevertheless, no matter where they were stationed or um, what they were doing, they talked to each other every day. And then in 2009, Nayef's life became dangerous for another reason. He was targeted by militants for his work as a translator. So the militants started writing people's, the names of people who worked with the U.S. in the street, and suddenly, like, Nayef couldn't (gasps) see his family or friends anymore because he would endanger them. So all of his neighbors knew that he worked with the Americans, and they started calling him a traitor. So with the help of a U.S. Marine captain, Nayef applied for and was granted asylum, and came to live in the United States. And Nayef said, I knew if we stayed in Iraq, I had no future. We were going to end up married to women and hiding out our whole lives. But I had watched the TV series Queer as Folk, and I realized that there Yay. were gay communities on the other side of the world. So Nayef moved, and he was settled in um, in Seattle in 2009. And when he got to the U.S., he had $50 in his pockets. And he was safe, but he was also devastated and felt guilty that he had to leave Betu in Iraq. And Betu, for on his part, said, like, he said, I was so happy, like... That he I, was safe. Yes, I was yeah. thrilled that Nayef was safe, and I could finally live his life out as a gay person. Um, he said, for me, I live in Iraq, and now it's just me, and it's so difficult. And, um, and Nayef said, I felt very guilty. So the two stayed in constant contact, by phone or by Skype or other means, and every day. They talked every day. Betu spent most of his money on phone cards to speak with oh. Nayef. And meanwhile, Nayef was spending all of his time trying to find a way to get Betu to come live with him in Seattle. But Betu had a 25-year contract with the army, and he was the only one supporting his whole family in Iraq. So it was a hard decision for him to leave, but he knew, like, he was like, I had to be with Nayef. Like, this was, he was my destiny, and he was my future. Um, But because of Betu's military history, because he was with the Iraqi military, it was really difficult to get permission for him to enter the U.S. So meanwhile, his life had also become more dangerous um, because a relative of his had discovered that he was gay. Oh, no. And so Betsu started to fear for his life. Um, and then eventually, with the help of friends, Nayef got Betsu to safety in Beirut, Lebanon. And then he found a way to get Betsu to Vancouver, Canada, um, where Nayef could come visit him. So he's in Van- Betsu's in Vancouver. Nayef is in... Um, is in Seattle and they lived across the border from each other and saw each other every week. And then 
they got married in a small ceremony in Canada on Valentine's Day in 2014. And then finally, in early 2015, they got an appointment with the U.S. Immigration Department in Montreal um, to talk about Betu getting citizenship because they're now a married couple. Oh. And Nayef says he, re- he clearly remembers the day. He said, it was one of the biggest days of my life. We went in there and I had a bunch of paper, photos, letters, like everything to prove his relationship, like they were ready for a fight and it lasted 10 minutes. He said the interviewer asked specific questions about how they met, how long they've been to each to uh, how long they've been together, how they connect with each other, and after ten minutes, she just said, "You're approved. Oh. You can. You have a visa to live in the United States." And he said he was so shocked, he began to cry and scream immediately. He said, "I lost myself. I really lost myself because this is finally happening. We could live to get. We could live together. I want to wake up and see him in front of me. And when I close my eyes, he's the last face I see." So the two got married again on the Olympic Peninsula in August 2015 in what they called their dream wedding. Um, Nayef said he had always imagined their wedding, but it was more than they could have ever dreamed. And you can actually see footage of their wedding on YouTube. It's really beautiful. Oh, um, I'm they, definitely going to look it up. It's, it's gorgeous. I mean, they are gor- they're a gorgeous couple, and their wedding is out on this big cliff. It's beautiful. Um, so they now live in, on Capitol Hill in Seattle, and after more of a decade of living apart, they are grateful to, at long last, be able to share a roof and a bed. We have a home, says Betu, well, an apartment, but Nayef said it's like a palace for us. And Nayef, um, who now works as a home decor department manager, is a U.S. citizen, and Betu has a green card and is due to become a citizen next year, and he works as a building supervisor. So their story has actually been turned into a documentary that you can watch called Out of Iraq, and it premiered at the LA Film Festival in 2016. And they were actually kind of worried about how their families in Iraq were going to react to this film because even though they kind of knew what was happening, this was now like going to be out for everybody to see. Right. Um, and Betu's family initially disowned him. and But it's, after several months, he was able to speak with his family and his mother eventually said that if he loved Nayef, then she loved Nayef. And Betu kind of says part of his, he thinks part of like changing the attitudes in the country is that you need to start with changing your family. And so that is like, he feels like that is part of like um, his advocacy. And so the two of them were made grand marshals of the gay pride parade in Seattle in 2017. <gasps> Yay! And they said, Nayef says, we don't have to hide. I can hold his hand when we walk down the street. And Betu agrees, it's so different for us now. Before we were so hopeless, but now we feel like we have a family. It's a gay-friendly city. I'm living the dream. I'm free. And they like their love has just grown. It's been four years since they've been married and living wow. together. And now instead of every day, they call each other every two hours. Aww. And Nayef says, I always tell him, you're the air I breathe. I can't live my life without him. Um, and I just want to say one last thing about this story, which is beautiful. But I just want to say that Nayef was actually extremely lucky to receive asylum um, because while under Obama, the U.S. government created a program to allow people who worked for the U.S. to get special visas from the beginning, that program has been severely underfunded, underfunded and slow moving. And now under Trump, it's like basically halted. So yeah. the backlog to get these visas is over 60,000 and it's just growing. And so in 2018, only 48 of these visas were issued. And meanwhile, people who risked their lives to help the U.S. are now face threats of violence, kidnapping and death. 
And a report last year basically said that these programs no longer offer a meaning, meaningful avenue to escape danger. Um, that, I mean, these stories are just like completely heartbreaking. And if you want to read more about it or find a way to help this organization, that's an organization that's doing really tremendous work, you can go to refugeerights.org. And this is the International Refugee Assistance Project, um, which provides free legal assistance to Iraqis who aided, aided the U.S. governments and are in fear for their lives but have been denied visas. So, um, so yeah, if you, I, it's something that I, I heard a story about and just felt like yeah. so sick because you're like, these are people who were there and, and probably saved the lives of a lot of um, U.S. military members. And I know that there are a lot of, um, of people in the military who are working to help bring these Iraqi translators especially over, um, but the, gov- the U.S. government like won't let them pass these background checks. So it's just crazy. Um, but if you if you want to look into it or learn more about it, go to refugeerights.org. Thank you. Oh my God, the, I love that story. It's a beautiful story, yeah. and I'm like with a happy ending. But I'm like, also yes, there are a lot of people out there that are not getting this happy ending, and yes. we need to do what we can to change that. Yeah. Um, and also, you have to look up. We're, we'll post pictures of Betu and Nayef. They are so cute. Aww. They're like the cutest couples. And, couple, and there's all these pictures of them from when they're in the military to like now, and they're just gorgeous and happy and so positive about life. And it's just so refreshing and wonderful. <sighs> That's amazing. I love it. Okay, should we do something dumb and something we love? Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna start first because mine's a real bummer. Um, so I'm from Dayton, Ohio, and when this comes out, it will have been a couple weeks and people will probably have forgotten about it. But um, last week there was a, a shooting in the Oregon district in Dayton, which is where I'm from and where I grew up, like my grade, my middle school is at like the top of the Oregon district, which is like a strip of bars and restaurants. And, um, and then where I went to high school is at the bottom. So I basically grew up walking that street and it's where the comedy club that I work there is and um, and a, a gunman um, shot and killed nine people in a matter of one minute. I mean, I yeah. think it, so um, it's I'm just heartbroken. And of course, there was a, another mass shooting in El Paso just the day before. And it's it's I don't even know how to talk about it. I'm just so heartbroken. Yeah. And so sickened. And so that's my dumb thing, which is I think is a dumb thing for everyone. I know that everybody feels, well, a lot of people feel upset about it. I don't think everybody does. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess my thing I love is just that in every tragedy, there are people who are motivated to do work. And I think um, that is, I'm so, at, I so admire people who are like, see something horrible and aren't paralyzed by it, but are like, this is now I'm going to go change something. So um, I have decided to to join Moms Demand, which is part of everytown.org. Um, yeah. And it's basically just working for smarter gun laws. And, um, and that's something I feel very passionate about. And I know that is probably uh, not all of you would agree. But, um, but if you do, you can always go to everytown.org or momsdemandaction.org. Um, and if you would like to help people in Dayton, um, there is a um, the Dayton Foundation, which is a, a well-established 
Foundation in yeah, in, right. um, in Dayton has established a fund called the Oregon District Tragedy Fund um, for the victim family, the victim's family. And you can go to DaytonFoundation.org to find that. Um, so yeah, so be a helper. Yes. And I'll piggyback off of that um, as something dumb. Also, um, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think that it's that we need smarter gun laws, even though I know some of you may not agree with us, but that's where we stand. Um, my, um, just to show you like how, uh, how common of an occurrence this is. Um, here are two women sitting across from one table and Sally, it was in her home, uh, in her town that she is like, you know, went to school and has friends. I, and it hits her at home. My, um, cousin's survived the parkland shooting there um they were in uh they went to um marjorie douglas high school and uh we were just there a couple weeks ago went drove right past the the high school there's a memorial outside they lost friends they lost their coach they they what they've gone through is just insane and um the fact that it is so common of an occurrence that two women can sit across from each other and say oh yeah when my family survived a shooting right oh when when my friends survived a shooting it's sick and it shouldn't happen it's um there is is a problem and if you can't recognize that there's an uh, there's a problem with mass shootings in our country i just don't understand what it will take to convince you right what there um that there is one and um, thankfully, my cousins are okay, but a lot of their friends were not. Right. And 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 they'll have to deal with the the memories and the tragedy for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And um, and the good thing is that there is actually a really incredible organization that has been helping all of the students in Parkland. They've mm-hmm. been amazing in counseling all of them, and I'm grateful to that. Um. So Sally and I like to also joke that we always go swing so (laughs) rapidly from something so serious to something so silly but you know in the vein of this podcast things that are dumb and things that we love um my the thing that I was going to say that I love I totally got thrown off because I was um you know piggybacking off Sally and I wanted to to also chime in on that and I, so I changed my thing that I love um that was dumb but the thing that I was going to say that I love I know this sounds so stupid now but um my husband is a vegan and so it's which is great and, and <laughs> uh, but I, it's like cooking for him is a challenge sometimes yeah. because like I'm you know I'm used to cooking like Italian food and um and things that are not vegan so it's it's there's this book it's uh, and there's a, a vegan chef her name is Chloe Coster. Coscarelli uh-huh. and she's an Italian vegan chef and not Perfect. all of her food is Italian but she does have an Italian cookbook that's called um I think it's just called Italian cooking yeah <laughs> Italian vegan cooking I'm not sure but Chloe Coscarelli is the name of the chef and she is absolutely amazing and her recipes are all, I've, I have not made one bad thing yeah um and they're all and they're really like 
simple they're not crazy oh, so nice. yeah and they're all delicious and none they don't all use a lot of the fake meat product which i love right it's like all like just basic ingredients but they're vegan and they're so delicious and you would never know that they were vegan foods like vegan cream sauce is made out of just like cashews yeah um stuff like that is delicious that sounds so crazy to say after <laughs> what we were just talking about but i also really want people to know about this cookbook yeah, um, let me think of something. Can you light. say something stupid? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, let me think of something light that I love. Okay, I can come up with something. Okay, dumb to talk to like Please something lo- something lighthearted that I yeah, love. Yeah, because we always promise to end on lighthearted. So I know. let's deliver. <laughs> okay. Um, well, have, I've just read on vacation. I read the book Educated. Oh yeah, have you heard of it? Um, no, I don't know. It's it's very popular. I mean, just I. I I can't think of the Tara Westover, maybe? Tara West? Uh, I'll be your Googler right now. Can you Google up? Educated? Um, Anyway. Tara Westover, you were correct. Oh, yeah. Nailed it. Um, Anyway, I just, I finished it. I, I, like, just swept through it like any really? any chance i could get i was like reading my my phone like my in-laws would be talking to me I'd be like yeah yeah yeah, and then like look down and start just like reading any page i could um it was so good it's a memoir and just her life was like just incredibly crazy and what she has accomplished after it i don't want to give anything away but it's just it's so well written and it's so compelling so i highly recommend it awesome yeah. i'm definitely gonna listen to it i like or because i'm telling the truth i'm gonna audible that shit yep i actually uh, read it did with you my read eyes. it with your eyes yeah it, it's like the I first get in back into time. reading with my eyes <laughs> this is the thing though like when you're um when you're a mom and you have little kids and you're like and you have work and all this yes. stuff, it's so hard to find the time to sit down and read with your eyes. Oh, I know, because you're like, well, I can't double. T- like, I can multitask when I'm listening. Like, I can exactly. do the dishes and listen. Exactly. But yeah, no, this was like a great. Like, I just had to sit down. I mean, I was on the I was on the beach, so some there were like five people who could watch my kid. It was great. Nice. Yeah. So anyway, I recommend that. That will lift you up. And she's, I mean, she's just such a great writer. It was really amazing. Awesome. I can't wait to check it out. Um, But uh, thank you guys again for listening. Thank you guys for uh, sharing, liking, retweeting, reviewing and rating and all this stuff. You guys are amazing and we're so grateful for you. And we thank you guys so much. Get out there and do something dumb for love. Goodbye.